Romans chapter 2 will be in verses 17 to 24 this morning. Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 24. Uh, Let me give you just a bit of context. Uh, This is now the fourth kind of group of people that the apostle is addressing. So in chapter 1, he has uh, introduced the gospel. And he has said, I'm not ashamed of it. It is, it, is, uh, it is God's salvation for everyone. The gospel is good news for everyone. And if you're like me, you think sometimes the gospel is good news uh, for the drug addict. The gospel is good news um, for the people in, in the throes of sin and debauchery. And, you know, you're like, they really, really need the gospel. Um, and I think I've told you when I went to plant in California and I had to go raise money, I would go to these churches, and they're like, where are you going to go plant? I said, in Los Angeles, and they're like, oh, they really need the gospel out there. And, and sometimes they would say it in some sense, like, we don't need it here. We're good. We're full up here. We're great. Um, but what the apostle is doing is he kind of starts with what we call the low-hanging fruit. You know, the, the people that are easiest for all of us to agree need the gospel. So that first group of people were those who knew God's word and purposely went against God's word, encouraged others to go against God's word, right? So, I mean, it's kind of this obvious, we hate God, people. We don't want anybody else to love God. And if they do, we'll make fun of them and we'll encourage them to to turn away from God. So that's that first group. That's that low-hanging fruit. And that was an easy sermon to deliver, right? Because we're all like, yeah, yeah, those people. This group, we're going to spend three weeks on because this is probably the closest group to us. That first group, uh, those who knew God's word and, and tried, he said, specifically suppressing the truth. Uh, the second group were the kind of the, the moral people who thought they were better than the first. Uh, then the third group, uh, third and fourth group, they're, they're dealing with the law, uh, those who had made their own law. Um, this fourth group, is specifically, uh, he references the Jews. Now, it sounds anti-Semitic to say that. Uh, we can't tell Jew jokes anymore, right? I, I, I realized I was kind of away from the cultural center when I came to Grove, and people would still use that. Like, I remember someone saying, I Jewed somebody down. I'm like, where do you live? You can't say that anymore, right? You just can't, you can't do that anymore, right? Uh, and so I, I'm aware when we read this and we say the Jews, that it's, it, we almost think like, wait, you can't talk about people that way. But when Paul talks about the Jews, remember, he almost has that, uh, that, that race card, right? I am one, right? So Paul, when he talks about the Jews, is talking about the social circle, religious, political, philosophical circle that he lived in. It's like, I know these people. Right? And so he is not going to just say, if, if you're Jewish in origin, when we read this, he's going to say, if you're a Jew, and this, this, and this, this, and this, this. Well, he's listing people, just so you know, so you don't get turned off when we read it and say, oh, the Bible, it's racist. Um, and you understand. So that's this fourth group of people. Uh, so he switches from uh, the moralizers who make their laws but even break their own laws now to the Jew, himself included. So uh, that's where we pick up this morning. Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 24. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. 
But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a member of a Presbyterian church, no, it's not in there. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, Dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. That is a tough text, people. When David Livingston went as a missionary to Africa in the 1800s, he, he reported that his greatest obstacle to the gospel of Jesus Christ, his greatest obstacle to reaching the masses in Africa, was the Portuguese who had gone before him. And the Portuguese had brought with them Christianity and the slave trade. And, and, and so he goes to spread the gospel in Africa, and the gospel they had heard, they heard at the hands of those who were enslaving their brothers and sisters and countrymen. Uh, I had a friend, a family that was awesome in Virginia, go off to be missionaries in a, in a Muslim country. And uh, they, would, they would report privately about how hard it is just because they were American. And so uh, they, they would go into this Muslim country and they were like, you're American, so whatever your country does, it does in the name of God and Christianity, and you're responsible for this, this, this. Um, and so in, in my life, and in ministry especially, I've always thought, and my prayer has been from Psalm 69, where David just says, don't let anyone, don't let anyone, oh God, please don't allow me to have influence that would allow anyone to dishonor you. Please don't let my, my, my ministry, my sermons, my life, my jokes, my, my family, please, please, oh God. And it's every Sunday morning, it's that same thing. Lord, may, may what I say make people think more of you. May I never, ever draw people away from a deeper, richer faith in you. May nothing that I do draw them away from you. And when we get to verse 24, I mean, that, that has got to be the most scathing rebuke heretofore in Romans, right? The most scathing rebuke. Because of you, he says. God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Francis Schaeffer writes in his book, The Finished Work of Christ, the Christians encourage the world toward blasphemy when we live as though God does not exist. And that's the thought I want you to carry with you today. And when we get finished for you to think over this next week, do I, do I live and act and function 
though God doesn't exist, as though the gospel is not true. And I'll tell you, in my experience, uh, especially when I was a youth pastor, the, the, the children, the high schoolers, the teenagers that were the hardest to reach were the ones whose, whose parents had been very strict about the law of God. And please listen to the whole statement. We should be very strict about the law of God. But saw nothing of the grace and mercy in their lives between their parents and each other. And so they would, they would look at the life, mom and dad, and like, if what they're telling us is true, wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't that relationship be better? Wouldn't they deal with me in a different way? They were the hardest. As it's as if they had said, I've seen this. I've seen everything you're talking to uh, us about, Pastor. I've seen it, and it don't work in my family. That's what the apostle is getting at here. You who know the law. You've actually been a, a reason that my name is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Isaiah says the same thing. In Isaiah 52, uh, God says, uh, and continually all the day, my name is despised. So I'm going to ask you this question. And I ask me of this question. And I, and I tell you, when we do our corporate confessions of sin in church, uh, be glad that you've never been asked by me to do that. <laughs> it's one of the hardest things to do. And if you notice, when I ask one of the elders or Jim to, to do a confession, it, it is almost incumbent upon them that they, before you, have to say, here is where I struggle. Right? When, you, when you feel that pressure of leading people in confession, you're, you're like, uh, I'm bringing God's people before him uh, so that they can rid themselves of guilt and shame. I want them to know that I've had to do the same thing, right? And, and so here's the question, though. Do you care more about your reputation or God's? Now, this is to Christians, Christian people, in all of your encounters, all your comings and goings, and in your business, and in your sports, and in your hobbies. At the end of the day, do you care more about your reputation or God's? Do you, after walking away from a conversation, wonder, what do they think of me? Or what do they think of God? Um, so I'm already at verse 24. I'm, I'm going to go back and, and, and work our way to it. I just, I just wanted you to understand that, that that's going to be kind of the push this morning. Um, how, do, how do we go from really blessing, blessing our God uh, to blaspheming our God? How, how do we get there? And, and really, we get there because the fundamental problem in a human heart is, as the apostle writes all throughout Scripture, is to find our confidence in the flesh. So in verse 17, when he says, you call yourself a Jew and you rely. So that word rely, your confidence. What do you find as your basis of telling yourself, I'm a worthy individual, I'm a good person. Your confidence. And human beings, we are notoriously active in trying to make our confidence in the flesh by that our, our confidence in, in what we've done what we've attained what we know who we are who loves us uh the confidence in relying on the flesh now here's why because we were made to be right okay we, we were made to be right 
and, and that, that, that longing to be right. You know, when we get older, we feel it in our bodies, right? I wish, I wish my knees felt like they did when I was 18. I, 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 there, there's something, something is broken and fallen. It doesn't feel like it should. I wish it was like that. But it's also in our very soul. It, it, it is why our, our adolescents struggle so much. I, I want to feel right. I don't feel right. What can I change about me? What can they do to me? What can this person say to me? What can I get? What can I aim? What can I win? What can I attain? I want to feel right. Do you know that that was given to us at creation? This desire to feel right. Not just okay, but right. Worthy, worthwhile, significant, secure. And so when he says building confidence in the flesh, it is what happens naturally when we're not feasting on this gospel of Jesus Christ. Something make me feel right. And so the danger with the, the people that we are talking about is they had the law of God. And so they, they use this law of God to fill that void. I am right because I obey. I am right because I know these things. Um, and so that, that's, that's the people. The fundamental problem is we, we long to be right, and that, that whole longing to be right is, is in, that, in that phrase we find confidence in the flesh. So there's a couple ways to look at this text, and I had a hard time outlining it um, because, and you might even see in the, in the notes there, this uh, if, then, and so. Um, but... Uh, the, the sermon and sentence this morning comes right really from verse 24. We must live as Christians in such a way that the world is not encouraged towards blasphemy. When you read verse 24, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, that, that should prick your, your imagination into what, what, what am I doing for the glory of God? What am I presenting about the worth of God? God. So we must live as Christians in a way that the world is not encouraged towards blasphemy. So he, uh, he starts by talking about the Jews. And so when I use that term Jew, you'll see that there are all these uh, statements that are attached to it. So if you look at verse 17, when he says Jew, you call yourself a Jew. And, and then he goes on to fill in really what that means for them. It is, it is more than race. It is race. Okay, it, is, it is ethnicity, all right? The Jew, by birth, believed they had better standing with God, believed that they were, of all the nations in the world, they were the ones chosen by God, that they were his people. That was drilled into your head before you said Abba, before you said Daddy. It was drilled into your head. But he, he, he fills it out in verse 17 by, if you're a Jew, you rely on the law, you boast in God, and you know his will and approve because you're instructed by the law. So uh, those are all these beautiful privileges that a Jew had. Verse 17 to 18, five things uh, in these two verses of these privileges that were bestowed upon Jewish children, Jewish families. Uh, and I call this the if part, right? So uh, the apostle is great in his rhetoric and his logic, and his, and his building, his argument, he's saying, if this is true and this is true, 
then this is true, so this. Okay, so there's an if, then, and so, or an if, then, and for. So if, under the if are all these privileges. The first, he said, uh, you call yourself a Jew. You belong to a chosen people. God made a covenant with me and my forefathers. I've told you this before, that growing up as Kuiper meant something to me. I had this conversation with my brother the other day. I said, do you remember, do you remember ever feeling like we were the godliest family in the whole world? He's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, because you had my brother Paul and he beat up, he beat you up. But but before that, I, I remember growing up and really thinking, we're the godliest people in the world, right? We didn't do things that other people did, other families did. I didn't watch shows. We didn't go trick or treating. I know, sounds horrible, doesn't it? Especially if you come by my house this Halloween. Tammy's buying. She's stopping at Sam's on the way home to get so much candy. We'll be responsible for Grove Dentals. Uh, success over the next 20 years. Uh, we thought we were the best. I really did. The Jew had that pounded into them by their family, by their ancestors, by what they ate, by how they dressed, by their language, by their worship, physically. Uh, in in uh, one of these intertestamental literature, it says, uh, this is a... a Jewish scribe, for these are the people, praying to God, these are the people, talking about Jews, whom you have elected. And this is the nation of which you found no equal. This is what they were taught. We shall always be blessed. At least we did not mingle with the nations. For we are all a people of the name. We who receive one law from the one. Now, uh, that's just not true. Right? They did mingle with the other nations. When you read the New Testament, and you're like, why the Samaritan woman says, why are you even talking to me? They mingled with other nations. Um, and God tells them specifically, I didn't pick you. I didn't choose you because you were powerful or you were faithful. He says, no, I picked you because you were weak and you were stiff-necked. It's a beautiful thing. Our God chooses the weak to make his name great. Chooses the sick to heal. Chooses the sinner to cleanse. Uh, they had this name. The second privilege they had was the law. In verse 17, it says they relied on the law. They had the first five books of the Bible. Um, they memorized it. They applied it. We are the same. Paul writes in Philippians 3 what that meant for him. So again, he's saying this is what it meant for me. Now, he is making an argument in, in, in the letter to the Philippian church that what they have received is far superior. So that's the context. What they have received through the gospel of Christ is far superior than what he received as a Jew. But he says, these are the things that I received. Um, I myself, he says in verse 4 of chapter 3, I have confidence in the flesh. There's that term. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul talking about himself before the gospel came in. I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day physically of the people of Israel, ethnically of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he listed, he said, these are the things that I grew up saying, this is what makes me right with God. This is why God hears my prayer. 
This is why God keeps me safe in a football game, right? This, this, is what, this is who I have. But then he goes on to say this amazing statement. He says, but now I count these things as rubbish, loss. He's not saying they were bad things. He said he used them in a way that he had his confidence that he would stand before almighty perfect, pure God and say, it's me, it's Paul, I'm your favorite. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Remember me? I persecuted the church. Remember me? Remember, I was a Pharisee. Oh, I know you've just been waiting for me. He says, now I see that as rubbish. And rubbish is a PG-13 word for what he sees it as. He sees it as filth. He's that why? Because it kept me from understanding the all-encompassing, powerful grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, he says in um, verse 9, but, but I have now found in him. He says, I, I held on to these things, but now, he goes, I am found in him. I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I don't hold on to these things. I don't cling to these things. I don't defend these things because now I have a righteousness that didn't come from me or my works, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So the Jews' privilege is they, they had this law. Uh, they had the name. They had worship. In verse 17, they boast in God. Uh, that means they rejoice in God. They were proud of God in some sense when people talked about God that you would say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish, so I know him. <laughs> I, 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 I know him. Uh, verse 18, they, they knew his will. God communicated to us what God has spoken to a people like he has spoken to us, what God has rescued us. Uh, and it says it goes on to prove what's excellent you know best how to distinguish what really matters. Just as an aside, that person might be one of the hardest to minister to. That person who really in their mind, it's shut. I know God. He speaks to me. I have no room for a church. I have no room for a community. People are annoying. Uh, I can get everything I want by watching on TV. I can get everything by, by reading. I don't, I don't need to open my heart to someone else. Um, I don't need to be taught by anyone else. Uh, that's the status that Paul is talking about here. The fifth thing he says, and you're able to approve of what is excellent. Verse 18, uh, you have been instructed from the law. I say to us, people, this is most close to us. I have called it reformed chauvinism. Um, and we have to be careful. I, I will tell you, I am thankful for our theology. I am thankful for our standards. I am thankful for the hundreds of years of hard work searching the scriptures that have come up with our confessions and our catechisms. Um, and, and, and yet, we are not in God's favor because we have them. We're not in God's favor because we can recite them what privilege gives you confidence ask yourself that maybe for us now we're more evolved it's not racial or ethnic maybe it's political superiority 
Maybe it's knowledge. Maybe it is what you know. Um, I know in our current climate, the word privilege kind of carries a sense of being spoiled, uh, treated almost like you have diplomatic immunity. Um, but they were true privileges. They were, they, were, they were good things that God gave that nation. Right? And they, were, they, were, they were good things. And any parent that goes through this wants to give their kid a good thing, and they think, is this going to harm them? I, I want them to enjoy this, but if I give them this much, will they not learn how to work? One of my best friends, we're, we're godparents to his kids, two daughters, super wealthy. He's like, how do I raise my daughters to not expect their husband to give them all of this? I said, give it to me. <laughs> how, how, do I, how do I do that? How do I give them wonderful things and yet keep them? Um, these, were, these were beautiful things, but instead of, of loving this law, instead of seeing the beauty of God's law, instead of holding their lives up to it and saying, I, I've fallen short and I continue to fall short, have mercy on me, O God. They made them laws that they could keep. So the second section, I call it, these are the four prerogatives. It's still part of that if. If you call yourself this, uh, and, and in verse 19 and 20, he, he said, if you see yourself then as these four things, I am a guide to the blind. So that this, all right, so there was a sense that a, a, a Jew felt a responsibility to the rest of the world. Okay, there, there was a sense that a, that a Orthodox Jew would, would, would believe, and, and it's true, they, they had a sense of responsibility to the rest of the world. In uh, Zephaniah, uh, Zephaniah chapter 8, this is part of that eschatological part of Zephaniah we're talking about when, when the Lord returns and when there's a new heaven and new earth. But he says this, in those days, this is Zephaniah 8, 23, 10 men shall take a hold of the robe of a Jew. In those days, ten men will take a hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, "Let us go with you, for we have heard God is with you." So they carry with them that sense that if if we are the chosen people of God, then we are to be a light to the nations. And that's what he says here. If if you see yourself as a guide to the blind, what a huge responsibility that is as a people, a light to those in the darkness. I don't know if you ever feel that. If you're around the water cooler and stuff is being said, and you're like, I know what's true. I know what's true. The Lord has given me His wisdom and, and, and how we present that. Do we present that as it's from me? Christians, we don't do that. We present it from God's Word. Here's what God's Word says concerning this issue. Um, an instructor of the foolish and a teacher of children. Do you see yourself that way? People that would go to you for counsel. You know, it's interesting when we had a, we had Presbytery a couple weeks ago, and uh, at Presbytery we have communion. Um, so we have communion every time we have uh, Presbytery, and part of part of the um, institution of communion is uh, we invite people to come to the table, and we fence the table. So yeah, I talk about this most every week when we do communion, but. We, we fence the table in a sense saying, here's, here's who is not to take of the table. Uh, children have not been baptized and made a public profession. Don't take from the table. 
Those who are failing and, and hard-hearted towards reconciling with their brother and sister, don't take from the table. Those who have yet to put your faith in Christ, don't take from the table. We deal with presbytery. Now, our presbytery means it, it is comprised mostly of pastors and elders. I had to fence the table at presbytery. Why did I do that? Because it is possible that someone could be a pastor. It is possible someone could be an elder in the church. It's possible someone can go through seminary and get their Master of Divinity degree, pass all the exams, oral and written, and not be a believer. And so when I did communion for Presbytery, I fenced the table. You're not coming to the table because you're a pastor. You're not, you're not welcome to the table because you can read some Greek and a few phrases in Hebrew. You're not welcome to the table because the church has called you to be their pastor the table in that same manner the apostle is saying be careful if you are all these things because you of all people are most tempted to put your confidence in your flesh we, we, we talk about um, putting our confidence in our sanctification rather than our justification uh, churchy words our, our confidence in how well I am doing as a Christian as opposed to confidence in what God has done for me. God has rescued me. He has pulled me from the death throes and breathed new life into me, and I have confidence in him that he's going to continue. Yes, I, I hope to see growth and sanctification and holiness in life and good works. I, I should expect to see it. You should expect to see it in each other. But my confidence is always in Christ. I fenced the table at Presbytery. It reminds me of when um, we would give our kids lecture 14, paragraph 2, subtitle B. Right? Uh, I would sit there, and I would, I would look at one of them, and I'm like, hey, Jordan, what's mom going to say right now? Mom's going to say, uh, you shouldn't light fires in the house. Right, and, and, I, and, I, and I would, I would have them do that, for two reasons. One, just to make sure they understood which rule they had broken. And to keep me from yelling. Like, how many times have I said this? It got to the point where if they could recite their law, our law, then we realized something profound. Right? We realized something profound. They know it. They could teach their brother and sister it. And they still broke it. That's these people. They know, we teach, and we still break it. And that's the then. Verses 21, 22, the Jews' problem. He, he brings it to a close here with these four rhetorical questions. I love it. It's as if he's talking to an actual person. Then you who teach others, he says in verse 21, do you not teach yourself? Now, I know I talk about parents and kids, but we've all either been one or the other, right? Um, maybe one of the hardest things when you parent is you're trying to take your kid to a level that's beyond you. Right? I, 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 it's weird. I mean, I just remember thinking I'm going to raise these sinless children, which is idiotic, right? Just stupid. But... 
um, you feel, in a sense, at times hypocritical. But you're not, you're not bringing other people to your level. I, I don't want my kids to grow up in my image. I don't want them to grow up in Tammy's image. I want to push my kids farther along to the image of God in them, to the person of Christ in them. He says, uh, you teach others, but you don't teach yourself. You preach against stealing, but you steal. You speak against unfaithfulness, but you commit adultery. You know, that's why we have, we've been going through Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus is talking to these exact same people. He's talking to them in the exact same way. Saying, you thought you've kept the law, you've taught the law but you haven't loved it. Let me put it this way. There are times growing up as a Christian kid um, that I, I, I knew the Ten Commandments. I memorized the Beatitudes. I got gold stars on the memory thing, you know, in the Sunday school. I was got all the gold stars. Uh, and memorized the books of the Bible. But in my mind, I would think, how close can I get to breaking a law without actually breaking it? Here's the letter of the law. How close can I get to it without breaking it? So in some sense, I would use the spirit of the law, what did God really mean, to break the letter of the law. Other times, I'd use the letter of the law to break the spirit of the law. The spirit of God's law is to draw us to him. The spirit of of God's law is to show us beauty and thriving life. I, again, I grew up thinking God's law is to keep a teenage boy from having fun. He's only going to be happy if I'm not happy. <laughs> I mean, probably some of you felt that. I mean, maybe not. But I mean, that, 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 that was it. Like, oh, I hope you're happy, God, because I'm not. That's, that's this. The spirit of the law says, I have created you and I have given you these wise principles. The flourishing of humanity exists in striving by all God's means to keep these laws. But as we talk about it every week, he gives you these laws knowing that there is a fallenness, that there is a, a, a sinful part of us that, that, that is going to wrestle against it over and over and over again. And so he gives us his grace and he gives us the means of repentance to get out from under it. The, the fourth thing he says, you abhor idols, do you rob temples? That, of all the things, that's probably one of the most difficult to understand. There are four views of that. Um, probably what Josephus writes, the Jewish historian, uh, they had these stories of, of uh, uh, proselyte, proselyte, proselytites, uh, Gentiles that became Jews, um, they, were, they, were, they would go into the pagan temples and actually rob things from the temples. But anyway, he basically is saying, you, you teach it, but you don't practice it. Now, how do you respond to this? Your temptation may be, I guess I should never teach. <laughs> right? I better not teach. Sunday school. I better not. 
because whatever I say, it's going to be like Mark's kids. They're going to say, this is the law, and by the way, I just broke it. But that's not the right response. The right response is we teach God's law. We teach his gospel out of humility. We teach it. We teach, here, here is the truth. Here is the standard. Here is the beauty of God's law. Here is his requirements of God's law. And, and when I fail, and fail I do, it's this area or this area or this area, we create an environment of humility so that, that, so that in church and in community, we know that people that we love and know and do our life together with are going to find things. They're going to question the way we do things, what we said, how we act. Um, lastly, we come to the so. If you think this, if you think that, and then you do this. Uh, in conclusion, this verse 23 and 24, he says, if this is how you act, if this is how you operate, you who boast in the law, you dishonor God. God's name is blasphemed because of you. And that's, that's really the thought, again, I want to leave you with. Th think, think about the, the circle of influence in your life and what do people think and say and believe about our God because of you. Do you care about God's reputation more than you do your own? Do you realize maybe in the moment of your greatest trial in life, in, in that moment of your greatest trial, being dealt with unjustly, being, being accused of something uh, unjustly might be the greatest moment for the glory of God. Being treated unfairly. Being unnoticed for what you do and how you serve might be, instead in of, of, of spreading uh, bitterness, might be the moment of God's greatest glory. Responding out of grace when God gave his law, the people were in the wilderness, and then in Deuteronomy, he, he gave it to them a, a second time, and he had the tribe stand on either side uh, and, and repeat the blessings and the curses of the law. Uh, and it was, to, it was to remind them, you're about to go into a country that has been given to you. Can you imagine that? Like, like, uh, like next week we say, by the way, everybody at Three Rivers, if you're a member, uh, we now own Monkey Island, so go find the houses that you want. Oh, those are yours, okay? It's, it's yours. All the golf carts, they're yours. It's, 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 it's good, right? Uh, it, can you imagine that the God is giving them that, plus a source of income, right? You're, you're getting the fields. You're, you're getting the houses. You're getting the cities. I, I've had, I have had my enemies build these beautiful places for you to inhabit, says, when you go there, don't forget my law. Here's what he says in chapter 4. Listen, Israel, to the statutes, the rules I'm teaching you. Do them. You may live. Go in and take possession of the land. The God of your fathers, he's giving it to you. Don't add a word that I command, nor take from it. Keep the commandments. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. Probably don't remember that. It was, a, it was a cult from Midian that came, and, and it was the women of Midian 
that attracted the men, many of the men of Israel, into, into adultery. That's what he's talking about. Don't forget, those temptations are still going to come. But you held fast to the Lord your God, the remaining. And those of you who are alive today, I've taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession. Keep them, do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear, okay, so this, again, this is God's intention, when they hear these statutes will say, surely this great nation is wise and an understanding people, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation in there is there whose statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. If we are the people of God, that is his purpose for us in him giving us his word. To be a people that other people look and say, where did this come from? Where did your knowledge, your wisdom, the application of it in your life and family, where did this stability come from? And if you respond by saying, it came because I've been good, it came because I knew this, then you're causing God's name to be blasphemed. But if you say, it came to me because our God is gracious, and it is His word, it is His will, it is His grace, Come and join in. We must live as Christians in such a way that the world is not encouraged towards blasphemy, but as opposed to it, people see the good news. And the word of God is that which gives life, changes our passions, and it alters our character. We must ask God, the Holy Spirit, to instill in us that what people think of me doesn't matter, but what people think about the God that I worship matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you do not leave us to our own devices. Help us discern your law. Father, help us to keep your law. Help us to live close to you, God, that when our conscience are pricked by your word and your spirit. We are quick to repent, quick to apologize. Father, it takes, it takes you in us to change our cares. Please take us from the center of our universe and put yourself in there. And please, God, help all of our successes and our failures point to your glory. Lord, set these elements aside for us as we eat the bread and we drink the cup. We might celebrate what the law pointed to, the perfect Lamb of God who kept the law by letter, by spirit to the fullest and gave us his record through faith. Help these elements, Father, to transform us to nourish our souls, to know that though we are not right yet, we are declared right in your sight.
to know that we are not right yet. You have promised that there is a day coming when you will make all things new and perfect and complete. Give us hope until that day. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake.